you have your Bibles with you, we'll be reading John chapter 20, starting at verse 19, going through verse 29, and we'll be reading from the King James Version. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be with you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whoso, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted. Unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, as, but Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see him, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. And after eight days again the disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, this but, be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. What well, is good to be with you this morning. We appreciate you coming out and on the first day of the week to worship our God with us, especially we are so glad to have Brother J.C. with us. He is such a big part of our number and uh, means so much to this congregation. We are so glad that he is able to come be with us. We're so glad you're with us if you're visiting. We appreciate so much you coming out and worshiping with us on this day. and We look forward to seeing you again and again. <clears throat> Upon the first day of the week, after having been murdered on Friday, Jesus walked out of a dead man's tomb to become the captain of our salvation. The passage under consideration speaks to Jesus' very first presentation of Himself to His disciples after having been resurrected from the grave. Now John described the tension that was among the disciples when He said, the doors being shut. When the doors being shut. Well, why were the doors shut? They were shut because of the fear they had for the Jews. The leaders of the, the Jewish religion, they were afraid because they were shutting the doors because they knew those very men that had murdered Christ would not hesitate to do the same thing to them. Of course, it was well known that the tomb was empty. The tomb did not hold Jesus' body. And the Jewish leaders and the Roman rulers, they were not happy about that at all. 
So to reassure his frightened disciples, Jesus appeared to them in their seclusion. The doors and the walls and the 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 whatever it was they had made these homes out of could not prevent the Christ from visiting those whom he loved. He cared for his disciples. We see it all throughout Christ's ministry that he had a heartfelt care for his disciples. When we look in John chapter 11 and we remember the idea of Jesus weeping because Lazarus was in the grave. He knew Lazarus was about to come out of the grave. Why was he weeping? Because he loved those disciples and they were grieving. It broke his heart to see their grieving over someone they loved so dearly. So Christ wanted to reassure those whom He loved. And as He stood in their midst, He said, Peace be unto you. That was a familiar greeting that He had often used. And it was one that would assure the apostles that this yes was Jesus standing before them, having risen from the grave. But as we look at the circumstances and the context and the details and the things surrounding this passage, we notice something. Two disciples were missing. They were missing. They weren't there. They were gone from the group. And why? Well, Judas was missing because he had hanged himself. Worldly Worldly sorrow had gotten to the man and he hung himself. He took the coward's way out and no longer would he ever be in another meeting with the apostles. But then we have Thomas. Where was Thomas? Did he flee too far following the crucifixion? Was his absence unavoidable? We're not given this information. We do not know why he was not there, but while Judas was not expected to be there, you can believe they expected Thomas to be there. He should have been there. He should have believed what the prophets of old said about the coming Messiah, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Psalm 116, or excuse me, Psalm 1610. He should have believed that. He knew what the law was. He knew what God's word was. But for some reason he doubted. He should have believed the words of Christ himself, shouldn't he? Christ said, Behold, We go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed under the chief priests and under the scribes, and they shall condemn Him to death. And shall deliver Him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify Him. And the third day He shall rise again. Matthew 20, 19. Thomas should have believed the witness of Christ. He should have believed the words of Mary and Peter. What about those two disciples on the road to Emmaus? He should have believed their report. And all those other disciples who told him, We have seen the Lord, but touching and feeling would be what it would take for Thomas to be satisfied. It should be the goal of every Christian to grow in the knowledge and of the truth of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.4 We want to make some application this morning concerning the events that have been read before us. We want to be able to look at the 
experience Thomas had in the maturation process through which he went to become more faithful and stronger in Christ Jesus. We want to be able to make that application to our lives today. So we're going to ask a question this morning. Was Thomas a doubter or was he simply an unbeliever? We're going to answer that question. We're going to begin answering that question by noticing this man's courage. Thomas had great courage. Thomas, in fact, was a very honest man and he understood reality. He understood what the facts were. He understood what was going to happen. When Jesus told His disciples, John 11, 7 through 8, He said, let us go into Judea again. Their response was, The Jews of late sought to stone thee, and thou goest thou thither again? When they heard the plan, they tried to convince Jesus that this was a bad idea. You're going to go up there. They've already tried to kill you. They'll do it again. This can lead nowhere but to death. Not a good plan. Well, he told them that he was definitely going to go fulfill his duty, but the time of his death had not arrived. Oh, they're going to take his life. He had prophesied that. But they would take his life when he allowed them to take it, when he would lay it down. Notice what the honest doubter's response was. Let us also go that we may die with him. John eleven sixteen. Rational difficulties do not deter an honest doubter from his duty. Thomas was confused, no doubt about it, but his love for Christ was great. And within his statements... Through his honest statements, I want us to notice his heroic nature. Thomas displayed great courage when he heard of the Lord's plan. He was one of the bravest of the disciples. Now it seems as if Thomas always looked on the darker side of things, but when the crisis came, he faced it bravely. We see a man in this instance who knew no fear. Now it may have been... Two o'clock in the morning, courage, I don't know. But nonetheless, it was courage. And he would go with his Lord. Why? Because Thomas dealt in facts. Thomas dealt in facts. Now, he lacked some understanding. He knew Jesus would die in Jerusalem. But he misunderstood the nature of the kingdom. He didn't completely understand what was going on. He was more than just a little confused about Christ's resurrection. But he knew life was not all velvet. And at times he understood life was more like sandpaper. But he still was courageous. He saw their enemies standing in Jerusalem with rocks in their hands. Men who would kill Jesus and those who stood with him. That was the conclusion that this man had reached. And still he said, let us go. I want us to notice, Thomas kept right on being an apostle in rain and in sunshine. And he did it because duty demanded it. 
Notice what the martyrs said. The martyrs said, let us die for him. Thomas said, let us die with him. He was going to go right up to the end, and he was ready to meet that end. We see his courage in the questions that he asked. He asked several questions, didn't he? He craved information. He wanted to know the facts. And he alone had the courage that the others lacked to ask the hard questions. The Lord had said this, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. John 14, 3 through 4. Do you remember Thomas' response to that? Thomas said, Lord, we, not, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? He didn't understand. He was confused. When he made that statement, though, and when he asked that question, he showed himself to be a realist. He showed himself to be one who wanted solid facts upon which to rely. Should his faith had been should his faith have been greater? Absolutely, it should have been greater. But sometimes I think we're a little hard on Thomas. He had a great gift for asking questions, didn't he? He had the courage to ask the questions and get the facts that he needed. There's no doubt in my mind as I read this passage that those other disciples had those same questions in mind. After all, when we get over to Acts chapter 1, do you remember what they asked the ascending Lord? When will you restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still looking for a physical kingdom. Thomas wanted to know, where are you going? How can I follow? He wanted to follow. And God wants us to ask legitimate questions concerning our salvation. John warned this. He said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. 1 John 4, 1. Thomas asked legitimate questions. And we ought to ask legitimate questions. We can look back, understanding the history of what happened, and we can be a little bit hard on Thomas. We can say, well, Thomas should have known. Yes, Thomas should have known. Thomas should have accepted the prophecies. He should have believed what the Lord said, but none of those men understood those prophecies correctly. They still were seeking for a physical kingdom. But he wanted to know. He was legitimate. He wasn't asking a question to try to prove our Lord wrong about anything. He simply wanted to know, how do I follow you? How do I go where you're going? Jesus told the disciples He was going to return. And you know what that included? Death and resurrection. We better ask the question, how can I follow Jesus? What is the way? When we look throughout the New Testament, we understand that Jesus brought a pattern. He brought a plan with Him. He told the disciples prior to His ascension, Go into all the world, make disciples. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Matthew records it as, 
going about baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So when we ask the question, how do I follow Jesus? We have to go to Jesus. We have to listen to Him. We have to believe what He says. We have to repent of past sins. We have to want to turn our lives around and follow Him. That's what Courageous Thomas did. He said, how can I follow you? All you have to do is tell me. He wanted to know. He asked a legitimate question. Looking back on it, hindsight being twenty twenty, we understand Thomas should have known better. But we ought to know better too, right? Belief in Jesus Christ, repentance of past sins, confessing that He is the Son of God, Acts 8.37, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. That's exactly what Peter taught on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.38. That's what Ananias told a blind, praying, fasting, penitent Saul of Tarsus to do. Acts 22.16 Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. How do you call on the name of the Lord? By by being obedient to Him. That's how you do it. Thomas did not understand the Lord's statement, but neither did the others. But he was the one to speak up while confusion reigned. He was courageous. He was heroic. It's far better to ask a question than to remain in the dark. Because of Thomas' question, we learn some things, don't we? We learn that without Jesus, there is no knowing, there's no going, and there's no living. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Thank God for Thomas. Was Thomas a doubter or an unbeliever? Well, as we begin to unravel his faith, we can come to the conclusion that we're looking for when we notice his courage. But I want us to also notice his caution. We might call Thomas the missing disciple. He wasn't there, was he? He was absent. He had disregarded the assembling of Jesus' disciples. Why wasn't he there? I don't know. I can't imagine. John recorded this. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. His doubts about Jesus' resurrection, I'm sure, caused him to be absent on that day. But he was absent from a meeting he was expected to have attended. Nearly every congregation of the Lord's disciples have some people or someone who disregards the assembling of the saints. Since the establishment of the church, God has demanded that we come together on the very first day of the week. And we should not be willing to make an excuse for Thomas in this instance. He had disregarded the fellowship that was offered him by God's people. He should have been present. After all, he was one of the twelve. Where was Thomas? If there was ever a time when the other disciples needed him, it was then. Isn't it better? Do not do we not have an easier time in life when we are navigating obstacles in this life? 
trials and hurts, isn't it easier for us when we have those upon whom we can lean? When we have those upon whom we can trust and that who love us back? Where was Thomas? Thomas was not fulfilling his duty as a follower of Christ. He should have been there. He needed to have been there. But not only just to help comfort the other disciples, Thomas missed out on some great things that happened that day. He missed seeing the Lord immediately following His resurrection from the grave. The greatest miracle God ever performed. Bringing the Christ out of the grave and everything that's attached to that. That blessing alone warranted Thomas's presence. He should have been there. He missed the fellowship of those of like precious faith. 2 Peter 1.1 He missed the opportunity to discharge his duties. He was not able to fulfill his responsibilities. He missed out on that. That is the mark of a shirker, isn't it? Have you ever worked with someone who refused to accept his responsibilities? I guess we all have, haven't we? There's always been that one guy that you had to work a little bit harder because he loafed a little too much. I'll just tell you, I used to be that guy too. I can remember... When I first started working in the body shop, I didn't want to work. I wanted to sit around and tell people I painted cars. I didn't actually want to do it. It was too hard. But see, as I grew and as I matured, I learned I have duties I have to fulfill. Thomas needed to have been there. He missed having his greatest needs supplied, didn't he? He went an additional week of his life worried and with a heavy heart thinking the Lord was still in the tomb? He didn't have to go through that. While the others were encouraged and their hopes were restored, we have to understand the great importance of coming together and supporting one another. No disciple has ever been better by failing to attend the services of the Lord's church. A husband and a wife rose one morning and It was Sunday morning and they were getting ready or she was getting ready, getting dressed for church and it was almost time for the services to begin when she noticed that her husband was just sitting there. He had not began to make the first move. He hadn't lifted his finger to prepare for going to services and she was perplexed and she said, well, why aren't you getting ready to go to the services of the Lord's church? He said, because I don't want to go. She asked, do you have any reason for that? He said, yeah, I've got three of them. He said, first, the congregation is cold. Second, the congregation doesn't like me. And third, I just don't want to go. The wife replied wisely, well, honey, I have three reasons why you ought to go. She said, first, the congregation is warm. Second, there are a few people there that like you. And third, you're the preacher, so get up and get dressed. (laughs) Hey, everybody sometimes gets to a point in their life where they feel like they're not loved or wanted, right? Even the preacher. Thomas was missing because he had lost hope in this world. It was gone. He believed Christ was dead. He believed the cause of Christ had been destroyed. Thomas was a doubter. Thomas was a doubter. 
Now he was a man who eventually rose to the occasion. He went from doubt to faith, but we must never confuse doubt with unbelief. They're two different things. Doubt is an unsettling thing. Unbelief is a settled thing. Doubt is a confused person seeking for an answer. Unbelief is the conviction that there is no answer. Unbelief leads to damnation. Now doubt can lead to unbelief, or it may become an avenue of deeper faith. Thomas was a doubter, but some of God's greatest soldiers were doubters, weren't they? Did Elijah not sit under a juniper tree and ask God to take his life? 1 Kings 19, 4 through 5. Because he was the only one left? Had he doubted the power of God's Word? Well, sure he did. He wasn't the only one left. There were thousands who had yet to bend the knee to Baal. What about John the Immerser? Was he not a doubter? Do you remember when he sent two of his disciples to demand, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Matthew 11 verse 3. Was he sure that Christ was the one? Now remember, he had baptized the man. He had already made the statement, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Yet he doubted. What about Peter? Peter said, I go a-fishing. Why? Well, that was his trade, wasn't it? Wasn't he a fisherman? Why would he return back to being a fisherman? Well, the job that he had last, that lasted for three and a half years, was over. He had to feed himself and his family. So he was going to go fishing. You know, corrupted Christianity can lead many to become doubters. Have you ever thought about that? Corrupted Christianity. A backsliding church in a self-seeking service is the soil in which doubt will flourish. A backsliding church in a self-seeking service. A lack of study of the Scripture will produce doubt, especially when you have a fast-talking preacher come into the presence of the membership and begin to convince the believers to depart the old paths. Has that ever happened in the history of man? If we do not take the time to study, to understand what the truth is, how are we going to know the difference? We can never take the word of men when it comes to our salvation. Do you remember what Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 6.16? Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and seek, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. They weren't interested. That's not being a doubter. That's being an unbeliever. That leads to death. What's the doubt of, or what's the result of doubt and unbelief? I want us to notice a few things. Hebrews 11, 33 through 34. Some things that doubt never did. Doubt and unbelief never routed the armies of the aliens. Doubt never quenched the violence of fire. Doubt never escaped the edge of the sword 
And it certainly never stopped the mouths of lions. Unbelief will always lead us away from God, Hebrews 3.12. Doubt led Thomas away from the Lord. Took him right away. But Paul told us to pray without doubting, didn't he? First Timothy 2 verse 8, If we ask God for something, we better understand that He loves us, Matthew 6 verse 30, that He'll take care of us and we better believe He'll answer our prayers or we're wasting our time. Thomas was not an unbeliever, but for a time, Thomas was a doubter. We see that in his courage. We see it in his caution. But we see his conviction in what that meant to his life. At the Lord's second appearance, Thomas was there, wasn't he? He was present. He was able to be there. He saw the risen Savior But his doubt brought something to him that it did not bring to the other people. He was rebuked. The Lord rebuked him, John 20, 29. He should have believed, shouldn't he? He should have believed. He should have listened. He should have accepted. Demonstrating great patience with his disciple though, Jesus put forth his hands and he said, Touch them. Put your your hand in my side. He said, go ahead, Thomas, you have to have some some real evidence. You have to have some facts and some things that you can touch with your hand so you can believe. He said, put your hand in my side. He should have believed the testimony of the other disciples, but his doubt did turn into faith. And he received the encouragement that he had missed and needed so badly. And then what did he do? He praised God. He praised Jesus. Believing Thomas, praise Jesus, he said, my Lord and my God. That was his confession that Jesus was both. He was his Lord and he was his God and he came out of the grave. His confession was my Lord and my God, meaning, well, he was who he said he was. No reason to doubt. And he was convinced of the resurrection. Now there is no indication, at least to me, as I read this, that Thomas accepted Jesus' challenge to thrust his hand in his side. He may have, but I doubt that was necessary. He then told Thomas that one day, Thomas, men are going to believe, but they're going to believe through thy faith, not through their physical eyes. Paul told us we walk by faith, not by sight. Thomas learned that. He was an honest doubter who loved Jesus and, and, and he was ready to welcome belief. See that? We have to remember that. If, how do we have faith? Well, first we gotta want to have faith. We have to desire faith. We have to want to believe. Doubt looks for light. Unbelief is content with darkness. Not looking for the light. When we look at the growth of Thomas as a Christian, we see his courage and his caution But boy, look at his conviction. Thomas gave his life for the Christ. He had conviction. Thank God for Thomas. When he brought his doubts into the open, he received some information for all of us. And he has allowed us all to face our own doubts in a better way. To be able to stand up to the problems of this life. And indirectly, he prompted Jesus to answer the most important question we can ever ask. 
How do I follow you? How do we get to where the Lord is? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto me, comes unto the Father except by me. That's the way, it's the truth, and that's which leads to life. And He got that for us. And we can make that application in our lives today. If we choose to do that, we've talked about how to come to Christ. There is a plan of salvation. Now, the denominational world rejects that idea. They talk about a faith-only salvation. There's not a faith-only salvation. There's not a works-only salvation. There is only the plan of salvation. Jesus said in John 8, 24, Unless you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. In Luke 13, He said, Unless you repent, ye shall also likewise perish. In Matthew 10, 32-33, He said, If you confess Me before men, I'll confess you before My Father which is in heaven. If you deny Me before men, I'll deny you to My Father who is in heaven. In Mark 16, 15 and 16, He talked about going into all the world and making disciples. In verse 16 he said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. And is a coordinating conjunction. It combines two words of same value. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. good friend of mine, I may have mentioned this. He said, but he didn't say... He that believeth not. I said, or he that is not baptized. I said, he didn't have to. He's talking about two separate things. He's telling us how to be saved. In the second part of that verse, he's telling us how we can be lost. Look, I want to be saved. I want to believe and be baptized. I don't want to be an unbeliever and lose my soul. Then, of course, faithful living. Jesus said, Matthew 10, 24, those who endure to the end shall be saved. If you've never obeyed the gospel plan of salvation, do that today. Don't be an unbeliever. We've all had doubts. But allow that doubt to turn into faith. If you have obeyed the gospel and become unfaithful, come back to the Lord. We understand how to do that through repentance of sin, confession, in whatever manner that is necessary, whether publicly or privately, and then prayer and asking God to forgive us. And He will. That's the second law of pardon. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, do that as we stand and as we sing.